Let's talk about the opioid crisis. This is a thing that everyone in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, I think, as well, is aware of. And it's been a difficult thing to treat. Um, We've lost a lot of lives to it. There's a lot of frustration around it. And BC has released new treatment guidelines. And if we want to talk about that and how that's going to work and what that looks like. So here now to help us sort of unpack that is Dr. Paxton Bach, co-medical director for the British Columbia Center on Substance Use. Good morning, Dr. Bach. How are you? Morning, Scott. Thanks for having me. yeah, of course. Now, my uh, just from looking at these regulations or these guidelines so far, uh, sort of my main takeaway here is this is a basically a move away from fixed medication categories and and limits to individual approached um, uh, dosing, like based on individual patient needs. Yeah, I mean, this is there's 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 a lot contained in in our new guidelines. This is being the product of four years of work now it's, it was it was somewhat delayed by covid and has really been uh, a, a, an incredible effort by a group of, of health experts from around the province um, and makes a, a whole host of new recommendations around updating uh, evidence-based treatment for people with opioid use disorder but you're right one of the themes that i hope really cuts through the entire document is the idea of really collaborative decision making and patient-centered care and helping people find um, the medications or approaches that suit their needs at any given moment to keep them safe and well yeah, and the, another one of the things is that, like a lot of the um, the the limits, the upper end of the limits for, for example, how much methadone could be prescribed. That number has gone up. Yeah, and in, in a sense, the 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 reality is is in the current environment, um, and this is an unprecedented environment. The traditional approaches to treating opioid use disorder. Um, that are based off of 60 years of, of research. Uh, we're, we're just finding more and more that, that when faced with, with the, the, the incredibly volatile and potent drug supply that we're dealing with now, that we really needed to scramble and update um, and update our traditional approaches in order to better serve people in, in the current context. Okay. Can you give me like a, an idea of what it would look like if a person wanted to get treatment for an opioid addiction? Where, where do they start? Like how does that process begin and how does it get determined how much methadone or treatment they, they get? Sure. Well, so for, for starters, I'd say that treatment for every individual is going to look a bit different depending on their individual circumstances, goals, needs, and preferences. Um, certainly, opioid agonist treatment with medications like methadone and suboxone are really one of the cornerstones. They're some of the best evidence medications we have in all of medicine, um, and, and we, we know very well that they help prevent um, uh, harms associated with opioid use, uh, overdose deaths, uh, and improve quality of life as a whole. So certainly, that's often a starting place. Um, Somebody might access a physician through uh, an addiction medicine uh, clinic, through their family physician, through an emergency room. Um, We will talk to them about the different options that are out for them, about the different characteristics of these options and what might suit their needs the best. And then we'll we'll, we'll choose a medication, we'll start it together, and we'll increase that dose um, over time until, until... their needs are met and it's, it's, it's doing what it's, what it's supposed to do, at which point we can really step back and look at kind of the broader picture. Uh, other things that, that they may need to, to, to access in order to help treat um, their use, including everything from, from counseling or, or trauma therapy to housing um, to um, um, returning to, to, to work or volunteer, volunteer organizations. There's, you know, it looks a bit different for every, every individual. 
but but certainly that initial stabilization of medication is a really critical part, um, and that's one of the things that these guidelines really speak to. Okay, and how often would a person in that scenario uh, end up relapsing? What can you speak to that? Yeah, I mean that's that's a, a, a deceptively difficult question to answer. It, re- it really does depend. Um, so it depends on an individual on on the on the, the approach that we're taking and. Hopefully, these guidelines really do um, represent a leap forward in, in our ability to provide flexible patient-centered care that that, that attracts people. Um, but I will say, you know, historically, we have not been particularly good at retaining people long-term on those on these treatments, uh, and that is partly a representation of again the current climate and and the drug supply and just the volatility um, that we're faced with. But partly a, a, a representation of the fact that our, our guidance. Um, needed to be updated in order to better reflect the current realities. And again, we're really hopeful that that this represents a significant leap forward in just making these more effective, appealing patient-centered medications um, for for starting that treatment treatment journey. Sure. Now, with increased uh, amounts of medication being put out, is there a risk that that ends up on the street? Does that happen with methadone? So, I I won't say that it doesn't. You know, um, if you go go to... For, for all of time, you'd be able to, to buy a variety of medications on the street. Um, um, uh, we, know, we know that, that you know, it's commonly called aversion. We know that that does happen with medications like methadone, but they're very, very carefully regulated. Um, um, for, for much of the stabilization period of somebody's, of somebody's uh, treatment, they're having to go to the pharmacy every single day and, and take these in the pharmacy. So, so there are pretty significant limitations on on the amount of methadone that 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 is released out there. Um, part of part of this guidance guidance is actually um, a, a really updated that though, recognizing that we really need to be thoughtful and cautious about making sure that you know methadone um, does go to the people who need it because it, it can be harmful for somebody who's who's taking it who is who's not used to taking methadone, but also trying to make um, treatment itself as 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 easy to participate in as possible because as you can imagine that can get really really uh really labor intensive um and such that it it can actually drive people to drop out of treatment so we're trying to strike a balance between public safety but really patient-centered care and making these treatments um as as available and accessible as possible and allowing people to return to their lives when once they are participating in treatment not having it dominate their 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 day yeah, and I get that. It just there seems to be this idea that, uh, in just by increasing more output of these type of drugs, even though the intent is good, um, you know, we we see this all the time where it's like we're going to treat a thing this way, and and it ends up you know being misused. That happens all the time. And of course, I know that there are the best intentions here, but is there like has there been pushback on this or concern that this could end up um, going the other way? You know, like prescribing higher and higher amounts until a person gets to that baseline, which means that there's just more methadone being prescribed or more treatment drugs being prescribed and then more treatment drugs being abused. Um, I understand that getting off of opioids is a really complicated thing, but um, yeah, has there been significant pushback on that idea? Um, So I I would say with regards to to these current guidelines and these medications, I'd say not really. 
um, in general. I think most people have been pretty pretty unanimously in support, at least that's the feedback that we've received. And they are aligned with, with guidance that's gone out in Ontario as well that has been well received there. Um, the, the concerns that you're, you're describing, um, as, they, as they relate to things like methadone and suboxone, which are these really long-acting, mostly treatment-oriented medications, those concerns are real and worth, worth thinking about and considering, but they're not, um, they're not, it's not a, um, nearly as, as significant a concern or nearly as significant as part of the conversation as with, as with other approaches to try and um, reduce overdose deaths, um, like what we, what's often referred to um, as prescribed safer supply or prescribed hydromorphone programs, which really lie outside of sort of the conventional treatment world and, and these guidelines, but are a, a, a different approach that is being employed to try and um, reduce people's dependency on an unregulated and volatile drug supply. Those medications, um, are that, that's where a lot of that controversy is coming from. Okay, well, it's very interesting, and I understand that uh, that uh, you know treating this is a, a like we were talking about extremely complicated, and you know if these issues could be solved, uh, you know with a, a simple one pronged approach that we would have solved them a long time ago. Um, Dr. Paxton Bach, he's the co medical director for the BC Center on Substance Use. Uh, thanks for the work that you're doing and trying to you know protect people who are struggling with this and to help people get off of opioids and opioid addiction. And uh, thanks for your time this morning as well. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott.